This is the Walk Car Podcast, analyzing the EV plug-in and hybrid automotive universe for Thursday, June 23rd, 2022, episode 72, The Quickening of EV Chargers. So we're finally going to get to the subject that you've been wanting to get to for several weeks. I don't know if we are going to get to that subject. Are we? <laughs> I don't actually know if we're going to do that. We've been promising an EV etiquette piece and we've got some other things to talk about so i'm game for punching that to the end if you are yeah no if we've got time we'll get to it i say we punt it yeah this is also our sick episode (laughs) as ed and i are both even though we live nowhere near each other have both managed to get sick at like the exact same time bizarrely so i don't know what that means if you hear long silent pauses, we're uh, probably probably hitting the uh, cough button. Yeah, so. we're hacking something up, hacking up a hairball or something. Yeah. Well, let's get this rolling so that we yep. can get this stopped, and then we can like go back to bed. Yeah. I am Phil Royal. I am twenty plus years in as a automotive journalist and automotive content creator and co-founder, co-creator, co-host of everything to do with the Watt Car and the thewattcar.com. Ed Sanchez, likewise, 20 plus years in automotive content creation moderation and currently an automotive supply side analyst. So we, we I cover the electronics that go into cars, which as Phil has referenced many times is most of the car now. <laughs> it's like 99%. We discussed last week that software is the car. I forgot what you termed it as, but it's where the the software is the entire car. And so you have a a tiny glitch in what normally would be like, oh, you can't change radio stations or something like that. Now the car's bricked. Yeah. (laughs) As that one person found out a few weeks ago in their Lucid, they they bricked a $100,000 car. I mean, they got it unbricked. Oh, so actually on that note, I do do have a small, uh, small dovetail into that. So I can't remember if I shared this on the podcast. I, I think I might've shared offline the little vent function on my windows. One, oh, one yeah. of the on windows, your model, your model three. Yep. Yeah. One of the windows wouldn't go down. So I scheduled um, a service appointment. It only wouldn't go down in vent mode though. You could wind it down. Yeah. If you, well, it wouldn't do express up or down though. Like you oh. could pull it down, but you'd have to hold the button down to make it go all the way down or all the way up. Ugh. So I like know. the early nineties. Oh, I know oh. <laughs> the thought. So anyway, they came out, they were, the guy plugged his laptop in. He was, he was done in like 10 minutes. He just said it was like a calibration issue. Did he imply or say, or anything give you any insight as to what can uncalibrate a window? I No, he just said, he said, yeah, I see this sometimes. And he was just like, plug it in, just rebooted the you know window software i guess and off to the races how bizarre i can understand it losing for whatever reason computers just barf and they lose things yeah so i could see the window not realizing that it's up all the way or down all the way or whatever for vent but if you take the window and you cycle it all the way down and all the way up it should be able to self-calibrate and then no to fix that feature itself. You, you'd think, and I did try that. I did do all the way down, all the way up. Still didn't fix it. But you know what? 
I'm going to, as long as it's still under warranty, I'm going to take advantage of it. Plus the fact in my experience, probably eight or nine times out of 10, they'll actually come to my house rather than me having to go in. So uh, yeah, this guy rolled up and I don't know, I've had to guess like a 2014 model S, you know, got out, had his laptop and diagnostic cable, which, which by the way is not OBD2. Tesla doesn't do that because they're, you know, they're, they're the cool kids. So it's like a cat five cable or something. And it's like networking. Kinda, yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, but so, yeah, so took care of it. The, the giveaway was I, I heard uh, he had one of those little portable uh, air compressor, you know, the little handheld air compressors. And part of the routine for remote services is, is they, they air up the tires. So I'm like, and I, I, he just like barely gotten there. And I'm like, is he done already? I'm like, I couldn't believe it, but yeah, fixed it for now. So. So what I got from this is that you don't keep up the maintenance on your car because your tires were flat. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm a negligent owner. So, I mean, that was the, that's the problem, I guess. So you've had a number of these, what are they called? Why am I blanking? You had a number Service of these. appointments? Yes. Where they come to your house and yeah. they do their traveling circus thing. <laughs> Has it been more or less than with some of your ICE vehicles? Because you've bought, like, I don't ever buy new, so I don't know. I'd say it's probably comparable to the last new vehicle I had. The difference being they come to you instead of you having to go to them. And, uh, you know, sit in a waiting room with a bunch of, you know, complaining Karens about, you know, how much their car sucks. And they're like, you know, the guy just, I get a text alert on my phone, you know, Tesla service technician near, you know, came in. I already had, I mean, literally, I had literally just pulled my car out of the garage to give him a little more room to work. And I mean, as soon as I pulled it out, he pulled up and got to work. So once your car is out of warranty, are you going to keep it? I don't know. I mean, I still got a, oh, wow. I just realized I've had it for three years now. Time's marching on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, for now, I think I would, I mean, to be honest, I would like something with a little more range. Performance-wise, I have no complaints. I think it's got plenty of power. I know there's a lot faster cars out there now, but uh, in terms of how it drives, I have no complaints. So you traded in for more range, not necessarily for any concerns about servicing or uh, well, unless maintenance. I would say unless it got really bad, where it, it was just constant stuff happening, like like my old GTI, where it was just one thing after another, week after. Week. <laughs> I think at that point, I might say, okay, I'm, I'm kind of done. But um, it, it hasn't, it hasn't been that bad. It's been like maybe one minor issue every two or three months is about the frequency of it. And most of the time, like I said, they just come out, take care of it. No big deal. Now, after the warranty is up, they'll still come out, except they'll charge you. Yeah. I'm curious what all the work that you've had done, which you had like your charge port door wasn't opening. I think you've yeah. had the windows you've had. Now the cameras I had to pay for. As, oh yeah. You did. You did I the know. cameras. I thought you had something in the center console. Uh, didn't you? I don't remember. You've had a few. You've had at least two or three. It'd be interesting to know what those all add up to if that was out of warranty stuff. Like what? What would that be? I know with my Kia, which you had a Hyundai before, basically the same car, and all of the recall work that I've had on that. Anytime that I've had to take that into the dealership has just been for recall stuff. One was for the oiling on the crank, Mm -hmm. and the rest have been emissions based. So if you eliminated the air pump, as I heard somebody refer to it as, and the emissions part of the vehicle, I wouldn't have had a single problem with the vehicle. And I've had this since 2013. Yeah. 
And I never would have taken it back to the dealership if it didn't have that reciprocating motor in it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so we'll see. I mean, uh, I've been I've been happy with it so far. I know, you know, Tesla ownership experiences have been mixed, uh, to say the least. If you read the owner's forums and social media and everything, I've, I've been pretty happy. It's no less reliable than any other car I've had. Maybe, maybe the, uh, my Sentra and my Protégé were maybe nominally a little more reliable, but Protégé did have a pretty serious issue that I had to get taken care of. But, but yeah, so I don't know. As of now, I plan on keeping it probably seven or eight years total, maybe longer. I don't know. So if you trade it in for the range, would the range make a difference or if you got another Model 3, but it charged faster? Because there was a story. It was Northern California company called, how do you say it? Enovix? Enovix? I said Enovix, but whatever. And they can, they're claiming charging speeds of 80%, 0 to 80% in five minutes, 0 to 98%. Now, this is the crazy thing. 0 to 80, I get. Well, 10 to 80, I get. Yeah. 0 to 80, sure. Five minutes is mind-blowing. They're yeah. saying 0 to 98% in 10 minutes or less. Yeah. And this has to do with the battery technology or something. Yeah. that I'm, I'm not, I didn't, you know, I read the story and I didn't completely follow it because I'm not a huge, uh, like, battery nerd. Batteries use silicon anodes as opposed to more common, common graphite anodes. More than double energy capacity density. Does that mean something to you? Uh, <laughs> I like the numbers. I don't know what it means. Double the energy density or capacity. So, so TLDR is silicon is better, but it's less stable. So I guess the breakthrough they're claiming is they managed to get it where they're stable enough over time. They're, they're claiming the, the this... A process called lithiation, I guess, um, where the anodes swell. They say they've been able to manage that so it does it as little as 2% uh, after 500 charge cycles, which is pretty good. I think that's, there's that's probably, swell. Yeah. <laughs> wah, wah. You know, I think there's still a little bit of work to be done. I think um, the goal would be like a thousand charge. I, I, I don't know off the top of my head, but the standard, like, lifetime for automotive components is typically about 150,000 miles. And I think, uh, I want to say that's about a thousand charge and discharge cycles. So, you know, they, they still, some, they still need to work on a little bit, but I mean, it's definitely, uh, encouraging. You hear about these kind of claims a lot and I'm waiting for things to come through. Uh, (laughs) So I'm hoping this is true because to me, zero to 98% in 10 minutes, I mean, we keep talking about fueling parity and it's pretty close. Yeah. I would say that's every bit of it. You know, it takes you between five to 10 minutes to fill a car. If I show up with my Yukon on empty, I timed myself and that was like well over 10 minutes. Huh. Uh, I know it doesn't have like a 40 gallon tank too. 30, 30 something gallon tank. Yeah. (laughs) It's bigger than my truck. My F-250 has like a 29, 29 gallons. Wow. And it's something like 33 gallons you can squeeze in there if you're willing to sit there for 10 minutes, yeah. squirting click by click. You yeah. can get another four gallons in there. But on, on a car, I would say 10 minutes, zero to 98%. That's pretty good. Now, okay, this weekend, part of why I'm sick is because I got 
I drove all over the place. I went towing. Well, I yeah. went camping, but I towed this weekend. And you know how I, before I was talking about, uh, I priced out a F-150 Lightning and was yeah. like, maybe, you know, maybe this will do. Okay. So this weekend I jumped in my F-250. I towed my 6,500 pound trailer about 160 miles mm-hmm. to a campsite. And then that took five hours through LA traffic. It was just, it was awful. Yeah. The last thing I wanted to do was be stopping and filling up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then I towed 160 miles, immediately dropped the, the trailer off at the campsite, and then went another 20 miles to a friend's house uh-huh. where I could not charge an EV there because there was uh-huh. tons of other cars there. Yeah. So like just logistically, even yeah. if he had, which I believe he does have the capacity. I believe the previous owner of his house plug? Yeah. had, I believe he had a Tesla. Okay. So I might have a little problem there, but there's a plug <laughs> somewhere, yeah, yeah. So, you know, that what I'm getting at is there's probably at least a 30 amp plug somewhere in the yeah, house, yeah. probably 50 amp, but I, I, there's no way I could park close enough to yeah. it, or I'd have to get other people to shuffle. So, so then I did 160 miles of towing, 20 miles of freeway driving to get to the house, 20 miles back to the campsite where I had, this was the first campsite I had with plugins. So, uh-huh. so that had a 30 amp plug. Well, that's not going to get you very far with a truck with a hundred ish kilowatt hour battery to charge that for. Well, yeah. And TT 30 is pretty slow. So yeah. I began to wonder, do I need a truck that gets four to 500 miles of range yeah. to do some of these things without getting me stuck somewhere? Yeah, or do yeah. I need, and then at the time I was like, oh, you need to get something with a 350 kilowatt charger. So then that would be like the Silverado EV over the lightning, mm-hmm. the higher charge capacity. Mm-hmm. And uh, then you point that pointed that Anovix story out, and I was like, yeah. oh, I think that's really what I need because I went and did okay. Like, let's plan this out. Like I had, <laughs> like I had a lightning. Let's plan this trip out. So I went on a better route planner, and I put in towing sixty five hundred pounds. This is the route I want to go, and I was going to end up with if I did. If I wanted to get to the house at the end of the trip with 25% state of charge, which would enable me to get back to the campsite and then get to a charger afterward, yeah. <laughs> since charging at night was not going to recoup much yeah, of anything, yeah, yeah. that was going to involve two stops along the way. It already took me five hours to get that first 160 yeah, miles. Yeah. That would have been an extra 63 minutes of charging in those two stops. Wow. So another hour on top of the five hours with three kids in the car. Yeah. Yeah. So TLDR, we're not there yet. Yeah. I, I just, I looked at this and I knew that there was, uh, I, you know, I hate when I, when I tow, I hate finding gas stations that I can pull in 50 feet of trailer and truck with. It's a pain. If you're, if you're out on the open road, that's fine. You'll find a loves or whatever, and you can pull in with the big rigs and, and you're good to go. But I hate trying to do it if I'm in towns. So I have 25 gallons worth of gas tank, gas cans, and I fill them all up and throw them in the back of the truck. And then I fill up when I stop, like if we stop for potty breaks or, you know, at the end of the night or whatever. And I fill up that way. I looked up the stops that it recommended Uh or on a better route planner for where I'd be stopping. There's the Walmart you couldn't was so new. There was no like map. Uh-huh. There was no Google map. So I yeah. couldn't tell, but the target, I doubt I could have gotten in there with my trailer. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely would have been blocking my truck blocks seven to eight spaces when you just pull wow. in. Yeah. 
And this had like a dumpster on one side. So I could have pulled in in front of all that blocked handicap spots, <laughs> all of the EV chargers yeah. and hoped the cable was long enough to get to the truck yeah, charging yeah. point more than likely would not have happened. The irony of all this is we got an email. I referenced it the other week of uh, from one of our listeners, Linda Beckmeyer, who has a, she does road trips in a Ionic Hyundai Ionic EV. Not the five, just the older style. Yeah. The old school one that's got like 180 bio range, something like that. And she does a drive from Northern California to Southern California, and then out into the, a little bit East of here as well. And she had a problem. She stopped at Kettleman City and she was looking for a CCS charger. There's some, I guess, Caltrans has some chargers. They've got like a single unit with two chargers oh, yeah. by a dumpster. <laughs> and behind a Taco Bell. Yeah. So <laughs> she said it was broken. So she yeah. ended up at the uh, uh, Best Western filling up on a J1772. Which took a lot longer, I'm sure. And the Best Western is shares a parking lot or is adjacent to the parking lot of the Tesla <laughs> supercharger, which is like this, you know, uh, Nirvana of Tesla charging in Kettleman City. It's you know, she just nice got a lounge and a, a coffee bar and everything. Yeah, we've talked about it. Yeah. And so she's staring at that and green with envy, no doubt. So I looked up the CCS chargers on Google to see, you know, what do they look like? Yeah. And I've actually looked them up before, it turns out, because I recognized it on Street View. And in January, it had a review of only one charger is working of the two. So now that needs to be updated because as of like a week, zero. Ago, zero are working. The irony of that is I could get my truck and trailer into that parking lot because of the way it's situated. There's yeah. no curb. So you could just drive through yeah. the dirt and you can block all the spots. It doesn't matter because yeah. there's only these two, this one head yeah. with two chargers coming off of it. Yep. So I found that very ironic that I was looking at all that after my trip where I was like, I can't charge at any of these. And then I look at where her problem was and I'm like, that's perfect. It's like a drive-through Yeah, yeah. to what I need. Yeah. As you said, TLDR towing is not quite ready yet. No. And, and there are very, very few pull through chargers. And I mean, we've, we've kind of beating that dead horse for quite a while. And it seems like finally the rest of the industry is, is kind of getting wise to it they're like oh maybe we should do this and i'm like uh yeah the problem is that out in the wild like mm -hmm. you know you go off out into the country i guess you could say that you will get areas where you could do like like the kettleman city one you could mm -hmm. pull in and you could block the chargers as room you can mm -hmm. charge with a trailer uh attached in towns like my five hours of towing, I didn't really leave civilization. Yeah, yeah. In LA, you don't leave civilization for five hours. Adding a drive-through charger would be difficult unless you start taking shell stations and yeah. Arcos and, and Chevrons yeah. and converting them and adding them in there. And do they really want me sitting there for 35 or 40 minutes charging up a truck, blocking yeah. all the gas pumps as well? Well, this this is going to require kind of a rethink of the whole charging slash fueling model for EVs and specifically heavy EVs, you know, whether you're talking about pickup trucks or class eight or any of that. Interestingly, as part of the standard for MCS, they actually have a recommendation for a site layout for how to arrange the charging stalls and everything. How interesting. Yeah. So, so they actually give recommendations on, you know, the lanes need to be this long, this far apart, 
you have to have this much clearance. So they've, I mean, they've thought about it from that standpoint. Now, how, how strictly they're going to enforce that, you know, they can't, they just create the standard. They can't enforce anything. They can just have recommendations. It's the same way with, with CCS. CCS is capable of like 460 kilowatt charging. And yet you get 50 kilowatt chargers. (laughs) It's just a standard. You can do what you want. So we'll see how that plays out, but um, yeah. So uh, interesting uh, story popping up here about a company that, at least in the eyes of some, has been kind of antagonistic toward EVs, partnering with a company who wants to get in the recycling and, quote, close the loop for sustainability for end-of-life batteries. So. I thought this was kind of an interesting development. Yeah, this was Toyota partnering with Redwood Materials. Now, Redwood Materials is constantly in the news. I feel like they are a PR machine. Yeah. (laughs) And I think a lot of it's got to do with, and I'm blanking on the guy's name. J.B. Straubel. Yes. His association with Tesla, yeah. Yeah, so he's like one of the original Tesla employees. I think he was like employee number three or four. And, Or or six. It doesn't matter. He was early on, early, early days. Yeah. And he's uh, been caught up in Twitter fights, I think, with Elon. Well, Elon <laughs> has caused Twitter fights because I think Elon tried to backtrack what JB's history was with the company, <laughs> much um, like he's done with Peter Rawlinson. I think it's more <laughs> Rawlinson. In, in my experience, I think uh, Elon's been pretty complimentary of, uh, of Straubel. Oh, maybe I'm completely wrong. I thought yeah. I saw something where he was basically doing the same thing that he did to Rawlinson, where he claimed. No, he was. Uh, I think the tweet I saw is he um, he, he he threw some shade, I think, at like uh, Martin Eberhard. And uh, but but he was very complimentary of uh, JB and said, you know, if if anyone is is should take credit for Tesla's success, it should be JB. Oh, uh, yeah. And in fact, now you're reminding me, JB was the one who came to Elon with Tesla saying you should get involved in this. That was him, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. He was He was only kind of peripherally involved. So I guess Straubel was like friends with uh, Everhard and uh, Tarpening. And he said, you know, these guys are working on this cool little EV sports car that the T zero, which was kind of the, the predecessor to what would become the first generation roadster. And I guess Elon drove it and, and loved it. It's like, yeah, we need to do something with this. So, so a case could be made that without JB Straubel, Tesla wouldn't be what they are today. Yeah. They would possibly, probably have gone out of business long ago. <laughs> good, good likelihood. Yeah. So they're partnering with Toyota, Toyota and Redwoods, according to this story on recyclingtoday.com. Boy, that's got to be exciting writing for yeah. them. <laughs> years ago, years ago, I applied for a job at, in desperation, at like a garbage and recycling sanitation publication. <laughs> and I was like, I guess I could get into that. <laughs> Luckily, I didn't, I didn't get that job. Toyota and Redwood Materials will explore a series of end-of-life battery solutions for Toyota's proposed battery ecosystem, they report. Initially, this collaboration will focus on the collection, testing, and recycling of Toyota hybrid electric vehicle batteries. Companies will then look to expand into other areas such as battery health screening and data management, remanufacturing battery material supply throughout North America. Go back now to episode, I don't remember, the episode where we talked to Lawson Malika from AEM. Oh, gosh. Uh... I we, we don't can't need tell to you off the top of my head, but anyway, it'll be that in the show was an, That was an EV Mustang 
conversion. Yeah. And they used hybrids, hybrid batteries out of a minivan. Never said which minivan, but you know, there's only you I think put two. the pieces together. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the only bit that concerns me out of this from the hot rodding side is if yeah. hybrid batteries, because he said that those will output voltage faster and yeah. discharge faster just because of the way they're designed to be used off the line mm-hmm. to get the motion going of the vehicle, whereas EV batteries are like a slower bleed of the of the juice. So then you get a longer range out of them. That concerns me a little bit. But outside of that, this all seems good. And Toyota's getting into the deeper aspects of this, yeah. which is also good going back a few episodes of, or was it one where it was, boy, what's that company? Boy, I'm like, it's I'm going to blame it on being sick. The Chinese <laughs> company, BYD. BYD, yeah. Buying an African cobalt mine. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, ah, it's, you know, it's a bad idea. Human rights. Yeah. Toyota's going to care about this stuff. Yeah. Well, they kind of have to because they're so in the public eye that, you know, they're under intense scrutiny from the business community. So, so as they step into EV world with their BZ4X and whatever else comes next, they're going to make sure that they get all of these things right. Yeah. Or as close to right as, as you can. Well, Toyota is nothing if not deliberate. They, they never do anything rashly or impulsively, except maybe the Corolla GR. I think even that was actually very closely engineered. And I, I know that the last couple of episodes, we've kind of got, gone off in the weeds with the ice talk, but I think if there was any like ice vehicle, I would consider buying today. That would might, might be pretty high on my list. The Corolla GR. And I mean, it's got the same power plan, I think as the Yaris GR, yeah. which is just like getting rave reviews in Europe. Yeah, it's only a three cylinder. It's, it's a tiny engine, but it has 300 horsepower. I can't say it fills any hole that i've need. got in yeah. my in my personal life but they are super cool <laughs> but that kind of goes back when you were shopping for your model three uh-huh. i i went and was test driving a whole bunch of cars and i drove the type r mm-hmm. which was fairly new at the time mm-hmm. and it was like thirty two thousand, thirty five grand something like that and i sent you a picture of the thing and was like don't get the model three get this consider it your last hurrah in ice and yeah. then go and get the Model 3 after this. And you were like, you don't know what you're talking about. And you got your Model 3 and you've been happy ever since. But have you yeah. really been happy? <laughs> uh, like I said, the, the only thing I wish was a little different is the range. Other than that, no regrets. Anyway, we're off. We're yeah, off. We're way into the weeds. Okay. Yeah. So I didn't understand. Okay. Do you want to skip? There's, there's a couple stories we got left. And we're sick. We want to cut this episode as short as possible. Blink charging requires SEMA Connect. Why is this interesting? Why do I care? Well, I, I think it's probably, I don't know if I'd say the super early stages, but this kind of points to what I kind of pointed out is an eventual inevitability in the EV space is that there will at some point by necessity be a massive consolidation of charging networks. And it looks looks like it's starting to happen. This is the quickening of EV chargers. <laughs> well, it, it needs to happen because right now the, the process is just so fragmented and you know, have like a dozen different apps on your phone and the, the charging experience is very inconsistent. Sometimes they don't work, period. So I think it makes more sense for there to be fewer and better charging networks than a whole bunch of little companies that on their own don't have the resources to really provide a quality customer experience. I wonder if we're going to see a little bit more of that where the smaller companies that can't make it and so they've got to sell to larger companies. If this, I think it's part of the infrastructure bill, or is it separate from the infrastructure bill, that the government is now saying 
that they're coming up with, or they want to come up with standards for EV chargers. So they've put X billion dollars, whatever it is to create a network of like 500,000 chargers. I'm going off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But these like 500,000 chargers across America and they're they're, going to do these standards. And some people were like, oh my goodness, that's the last thing we need. Well, I mean, it depends on how they do it. If the government just comes in and says, okay, you need to have CCS chargers. Is that a bad standard to set? They're not, I don't think they're saying you need to have like, gov ccs chargers and they're saying everybody needs to change that so but the point being is they're going to have they're going to mandate in my mind they're going to mandate okay everything's got to be ccs if it's a fast charger it's got to be a minimum of 100 kilowatt or 150 kilowatt or whatever it is they're going to set all these standards out and then you're going to have and they're one of the things is the payment exactly what you were just talking about payment standard and so you don't need to have fifty thousand apps you've just got one app and it connects to everything and that's going to be a government boondoggle but the fact that it's like, maybe it's not, you know, maybe a private company will do it and they can, they can get it right. But the problem is, is that the small companies might not be able to put the money in to yeah. make their system work with the system that they have to make it work with in order to be yeah. governments, to, to meet the government compliant, standards yeah. and government compliant. Yeah. yeah. And this, while this is happening before all that, I think you're right. We could start seeing this and somewhat led by that charge. And I can't, I mean, it, that depends on which side of the political yeah. aisle I'm sure you sit on i can see both good and bad for that my understanding is the main stipulation is to get government money like basically grants or assistant assistance for putting in chargers you have to meet these standards which everybody if, wants the government money well, Even well, sure. applies but, for. well yeah but but if you don't care and you're just like well i'm just gonna do it out of my own pocket i don't care if i get money from uncle sam you can do whatever you want but um yeah i i think the main thing is in order to get get the money, you have to meet these minimum standards. I can't say that's a bad thing. No. But I'm also of the opinion of what's so bad about swiping a credit card as chargers? Well, that, that's works. also, that's actually one of the things being proposed is- um, It works. Like know, we don't need- Credit card swiper, yeah. I don't need my phone to do things. Like it's great that my phone yeah. can do things, but you know what works 100% of the time? It's my credit yeah. card. Yeah. Okay. Lightning round. NHTSA shares ADAS crash data, and it says Tesla bad. And another uh, another news, the sun is hot <laughs> and water's wet. Almost 70% of all level two semi-autonomous driving crashes from 2021 involved Tesla in the US, according to yeah. NHTSA. Does this say Tesla's level two is bad, or does this just say more people in Tesla's <laughs> use level two? Well, I think a couple of things. I think uh, for better or for worse, Tesla owners have a reputation of kind of paying, playing fast and loose with um, autopilot and full self-drive, and they'll do all sorts of stupid stunts. So from that standpoint, my, my guess would be a lot of these are drivers or owners that are not using it as, as intended. So they're doing stupid stuff and, you know, but there, there are some documented cases where autopilot or uh, full self-drive is a little too aggressive or too timid in some cases, uh, in terms of merging, acceleration, braking, whatever. So yeah, it's still a perpetual work in progress. Probably always will be. I don't know about you, but when I get in a car and I'm not driving and the other person is a little bit more aggressive than I might be, or a little bit less aggressive than I might be, it's frustrating Yeah. as a passenger. You're like, why are you, why are you like, like not, not to call anybody out, but somebody in this room (laughs) <laughs> drives with one hand on the horn. And, <laughs> and so you sit there as a passenger and you're like, that isn't the way I would drive. And to me, that's 
all of this, a hundred percent of it in any vehicle is the vehicle driving the way I would not drive. And it annoys yeah. me in every single car that I've ever been yeah, in that yeah. I've tried to use any kind of automated system on. Yeah. It just, it's technically might work, but it just bugs me. So I don't use it. But yeah. apparently there's a lot of Tesla owners that do. Uh, My I, thought I, is, is that there's just more Tesla owners using this stuff. Yeah, possibly. I primarily use adaptive cruise. So I don't even that, like that. That bugs I, me. I, I do just because I can just keep my foot off and I'll come to a complete stop and I'll stop start traffic. Up. Yes. Outside of start stop traffic. Annoying. <laughs> yeah. I, don't know. I, I like it, but Kia EV6 GT. Would you buy one? Uh, if it wasn't $70,000, which is, oh, is it really, it's well, it's, it's going to be well into the sixties. I guarantee you. Yeah. It's going to be a chunk of change, but I mean, it's also 576 horsepower. So yeah. 576 horse zero to 60 in three and a half seconds. I think yeah. compared to four and a half ish for the, for the current. GT line, which is the sporty ish model, but not what the is the thing on BMW? You've got the M's and then you've got the M M sport sport. Yeah. It's the, the GT line is the M Sport of the of Kia. Yeah. Of Kia, yeah. But still 4.6 seconds there to 60. That's still yeah. plenty quick. Yeah. There's no other details on this. It's going to be unveiled at Goodwood, yeah. is it? I don't know when Goodwood is. It's coming up. That's next couple of weeks, months, whatever. As I was doing my driving across Southern California or my towing, I saw two EV6s on the road. I'm not seeing any EV6s on the road. And I saw an Ionic 5 in white, like refrigerator oh. white. Beautiful. Oh. It's beautiful. Yeah. I've seen quite a few of those around uh, around here in the you know Monterey area. So yeah, they're not they're not rare anymore. The white, have you seen it in just like refrigerator white? Yeah. Just That's stunning. I thought cool. it was a stunning car. And then one of the the EV the first of the two EV6s that I saw was in white as well. And that was beautiful as well. And I I'm like I'm towing along and I see it it pulls in front of us. And I say to my wife, oh, my gosh, that's an EV6. And she's like, what? It, it looks like it's got a whale mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it does. <laughs> well, it's but, it's a unique, unique styling. Not everyone's cup of tea, but. And she didn't dislike it. It's just, you know, it's the same way that the Lincolns from the early 2000s, wasn't it? Kind of yeah. look like uh, the teeth on a whale as they would leave their mouth open and then they oh, would the krill. Yeah. Is there, okay, go and get the krill. That was the Lincolns for that. It's not bad. Yeah. <laughs> I just, maybe I wouldn't have designed it that way, yeah, but yeah. I can't say it's offensive. So last item, totally random. I, I guess this actually made an appearance of last year is uh, Holly high voltage, which I am going to try to go to because it's in Northern California. So, but I need to uh, make my arrangements with that. But um, uh this shop in Florida called Salvage to Salvage built a dual motor, uh, 1200 horsepower Chevy C10 with uh, 1200 horsepower. That sounds unsafe. <laughs> I think that's kind of the whole idea. But the tuner scene is getting into EVs for sure, because I think once they've gotten their butts in the seats, they experience that instantaneous torque. I mean, I think a lot of these guys are hooked and they're like, this is the future. Well, and they can do it. And they don't have to worry about emissions. I mean, this is yeah, no, in Florida where it's well, like, Florida. They don't give it, give a, you know what, anyway, this opens up the tuning world. It's like motorcycles, how yeah. choppers got like, they just, they're crazy because they basically have almost like no restrictions on them. You yeah, do yeah. anything you want. And so like the customizing shoppers, there's a guy down the street from me actually does custom choppers out of his garage. 
which uh-huh. he does. He keeps it real quiet, which yeah. <laughs> I think we should end there. Yeah. Before I watch this video and decide that I need to do a 1200 horsepower dual motor swap <laughs> in my F-250. <laughs> I prefer to have 300 horsepower and be able to go 5,000 miles. miles of range. Yeah. But I mean, it, EV motors don't, it, EVs don't necessarily work that way. Yeah. If you would like to review this podcast, uh, hopefully your podcast player will allow you to do that. We would appreciate reviews. We also appreciate if you can subscribe to this podcast, if you're not already. Anything we talked about can be found in the show notes of this podcast through your app or at thewattcar.com. You can email us at hello at thewattcar.com like a couple people did. And I've got, I got to talk to you offline about somebody else that emailed us. Yeah, it's pretty cool. You can find us Facebook and Twitter at thewattcar. You can also find us right here next week, same EV time, same EV channel. And buy uh, buy some swag. Oh, swag! Yes, thewattcar.com slash store. Get a t-shirt, get a water bottle. Help support the website podcast. I'll talk to you next week.